thanks. That's great. Appreciate the uh, appreciate uh, Bob Perry standing up. Uh, that's great. Hey, Pastor Ray. Yeah. Okay, James. Okay. All right. All right. Um, I'm. Yeah. It's 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 nice at several levels to be with you. I had the privilege of being with with James when we installed Kimball uh, a few months ago. Here, that was wonderful. Um, it's good to be hanging out with the in-laws. As most of you, most of you know, uh, Kimball's youngest and our youngest got married in October. So Wesley Knight and Kaylee Fry um, got hitched. You know, so somebody said, "Wow, this is like like the marriage of royalty or something." You know, it's kind of so it's kind of fun to be hanging out with the with the in-laws today. <laughs> All right, inside. Okay, so I uh, I was uh, really really honored, you know, when Kimball um, when Kimball asked me to share a few things with you, and I I apologize for being a little bit underwater. Uh, I have been battling a cold, as many of you perhaps have, and so uh, somewhere when you get that into that place, your mind is submerged somewhere and I wish I could tell you that my mind was submerged in some kind of prophetic grace but it's not it's just it's just uh, just a, a whole a whole cavity full of mucus and I don't know that might you know that, that might actually help us today so we don't know but um, so I'm so I'm going to do a little bit of a John Hagee on you um, meaning that I'm going to just really relate to my notes you know, if you've seen John on, on TV, you know, he's just kind of right there, just scripted out. And I know in many of our cultures are, um, you know, we come from renewal or charismatic or Pentecostal backgrounds. And the scripting part is not as, as um, core to, you know, we're very extemporaneous in our, in our styles. So I'm, I'm going to be probably unlike that and just stick really close to the script because if I don't, uh, who knows what will happen as underwater as I feel. So... Um, so if you permit me, I'm just going to um, share a few things with you. Is, is that okay? Good. On unity. Um, Kimball mentioned just how deep his heart goes towards this issue of unity, and I'd like to talk about <coughs> unity um, a bit this morning and uh, trust that some of this will really be an encouragement to you. And it, as, as we wind up, by the way, what time is it? I don't have a watch, and this is a dangerous thing. It is 10.15. Okay, if somebody wants to wave at me at 10.45 or 10.40, Kimball, if you want to, yeah. Um, we have 30 minutes. I want to just honor our time. So I want to talk to us as leaders uh, about keeping the unity and the bond of peace. Very familiar passage, Ephesians 4, verse 1. I, therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. One of the, one of the classic passages in the scriptures about unity and our call to maintain that unity in the bond of peace. Um, as you know, um, we don't really create the unity. What we do is maintain it. And I know we know all of that. But we maintain that unity in the bond of peace. Um, I remember uh, many, many years ago uh, when I was um, in California, one of our uh, leaders on our leadership team, 
uh, been with us for about three years. We, we came to a place where we were just kind of uh, off with each other, you know? And I, I, for several months we walked with each other, but we knew we were slightly off relationally, and that just began to grow and grow. And finally, there seemed to be such a rift in our working relationship. I said, you know what? I just need to get with this guy, and we just need to talk it out. Well, we, we tried to talk it out for four days. I mean, like six hours a day, talking it out to try to come to some kind of reconciliation. We couldn't. And so we, we, we parted ways uh, amicably. And in fact, he actually moved halfway across the country, started a related ministry to ours, so we were still partners. But for about two years, we just drifted. And um, got to the place after two years, I remember one night saying to my wife, Nancy, I, said, I just feel bad that we've drifted like this. Um, and I, I really don't know what to do with it. And uh, as we prayed that night, my wife and I were um, directed to read First Peter chapter 3. And Peter there quotes the Psalms, which says, seek peace and pursue it. And boy, it just all of a sudden it just dawned on me. Seek peace. Seek the peace and pursue it. I went back to Ephesians, this passage here. Maintain the unity and the bond of peace. And without going through a whole, uh, a whole story here, um, telling you how I got to this place. Let me just kind of cut to the chase and say that I realized that, um, that I was simply called to pursue peace. And if I did, God would solve the problem. So in my heart, in my heart, I just, I just, that night, I just embraced my brother once again. I said, you know what, whatever's going on, I don't care. I'm just going to embrace him in my heart. Do you know after two years of estrangement, he called me the next day. Within 24 hours, called me the next day, apologized for everything he had said and done. I apologized for everything I had said and done. We had this marvelous reconciliation. And I just wonder, just wonder if, as long as we were trying to reconcile this way, if we were, we were in somehow inhibiting the Holy Spirit working in our hearts to really bring reconciliation. And as I saw that, I came away with this, this thought, you know, if we seek the peace, he'll solve the problems. Now, you know, there's a lot of qualifiers to that. Of course, it's not just a blanket statement. But as a general rule, I think if we, if we have problems in a relationship, if we kind of see the problem between us and he's there and I'm here and here's the problem, we will reconcile by solving the problem. I don't think we ever get there. I think what we need to see in our hearts is us on the same side of the table. He's my brother. He's my sister. And we'll go after the problems together. Yeah. You know, yeah. seek the peace. He'll solve the problem. Well, anyway, so, so this, this maintaining the unity and the bond of peace, I think, is, a, is an important one for us to understand. I think as we are reaching toward, um, reaching toward unity in a greater measure in the, in the city, I think it's good to come back to this. Ephesians 3, 9, and 10 says, This is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This is the cool purpose, is that, is that God wants to manifest, what does he say here in Ephesians? Through the church, yes. the manifold wisdom. You know, yes. in a sense, we could call the church proof of concept. The church is God's proof of concept. You know, when in Detroit, uh, they have the auto show, what are they doing? They're, they're showcasing their models. In a sense, the church is to be God's showcase. Yeah. And I think that the way we allow the Lord to make us his showcase is to come back and realize just how deep our call to unity yes. really, really is. I go so far as to say that, um, and I won't make this is a money trail, so I won't go far on this one. I would go so far as to say, if you, if you uh, read it from from uh, a New Testament perspective, it's almost like you can make the case that unity, in a sense, attracts the presence of God, and worship maintains the presence of God. And I think some of us who come from certain backgrounds probably have a bias that worship attracts the presence. I won't disagree with that. I just think that we lose sight of the fact that unity, yes. probably uh, God is drawn to unity yes. in that way 
and uh, and worship actually maintains that place of unity. But that's a that's a sidebar. The church is to be God's proof of concept. Our calling is to be God's showroom. So what a magnificent calling this is. And Paul says we should walk worthy of that calling, this magnificent calling of being God's showcase. So I, 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 I want to go back then and look at that passage, eager to maintain the unity of the bond of peace, because I think it is as we are eager to maintain that unity in the bond of peace that we more and more become the showcase, if you will. Yeah. Ephesians 3, yeah. 9 and 10 says, manifesting the manifold wisdom of God. Now, I, I like um, what uh, several translations here of this maintain the unity and the bond of peace. One guy put it this way, spare no effort. Make it a priority for your corporate life to maintain the unity of the spirit. One, one, of, the, you know, one of the best exegetes from, um, from the text is concerned. He gets a little liberal in his theology, but in this case, I think Marcus Bart really captures, really captures the sense of maintain the unity and the bond of peace. And this is what he says. I'm quoting him. Take pains. That's really what it means. Maintain the, take pains to maintain the unity. And he says, it is hardly possible to capture and define the urgency contained in this word eager. Be eager to maintain. Yeah. Not only haste and passion, but a full effort of the whole man is meant, involving his will, emotion, reason, physical strength, and total attitude. The Greek text excludes passivity, quietism, a wait-and-see attitude, or tempering our diligence, tempered by being cautious, and our speed to maintain unity. Yours is the initiative. And this is what it says. Do it now. Mean it. You are to do it. I mean it. When it comes to unity, we who are called to walk worthily, 4 verse 1, are urged to race ahead, meet a deadline, and receive a prize. Unquote Marcus Bart. Wow. Mm. That's good. The sense of urgency is so emotional in Paul that this verse probably touches on why he wrote the letter to the Ephesians in the first place. The critical issue in the Ephesian church, I suggest, was unity and the danger that they were about to lose their first love. So I cut to Jesus' letter to the Ephesians, Revelation chapter 2, and we all seen this, many of us who are preachers or pastors or teachers, uh, prophets, we have, we have spoken from this passage. When Jesus says to the Ephesian church, I have this against you, you have abandoned the love you had at first, you've abandoned your first love. And for a long time, being the uh, worship leader that I am, I, I would uh, naturally see this through the lens of my vertical relationship with the Lord. But the more I've understood the text, I believe what is being said here, that their first love is not their first love towards the Lord. It's their first love toward each other. People, people, if you read, if you read Christ's commendation there, people who are um, uh, as diligent as they are, people who are as eager to test the spirits as they are, people who are as eager to do the works as they are, that doesn't sound like a people wow. that don't love God. The fact is that they had grown cool in their love one towards another. And this, this, this jives more with the letter to the, letter to the Ephesians that Paul writes. So I think that there's a deep, deep root that God is after. I think there's a deep root that God is after. Um, here, their first love. It, 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 it had to do with their worship, sure, but I think, it, I, I think it has more to do with their love for each other that they had at first. And this root that God is after, take pains to keep the unity, preserve the unity by the bond of peace. We, we simply cannot make value judgments any longer that this church understands the spirit and this church is grounded in the word. It's true. Come on. We simply cannot make value judgments any longer that this church understands the spirit and this church is grounded in the word. We, we, we've got to come to a place where we move through this. We move through this 
um, this polarization. You know, some people have, have commented that as the church goes, so does the nation. And um, I think there's some merit to that. Um, and so if we see the church polarized, we see political polarization, we see liberal and conservative polarization. Some of it I understand and I get. But I think part of this is reflecting some of the polarization in the body of Christ. And I think the elephant still in the room is the, is the, is the polarization between evangelicals and uh, renewals and charismatic folks. It's just, it's just until, we, until we get through this and, and actually, actually come to a place where God fuses this, and it's going to mean it's going to mean stuff for all of us. It's just going to mean, and I'll, I'll get to that in just a minute. I think I think that the American church is like a dog on a leash. Remember the uh, Foghorn Leghorn cartoons? Yes. You know, I, I used to I used to they were very therapeutic for me when I was a young leader. You know, watching Warner Brothers cartoons. But I used to love that. You know, it was part of my uh, kept my sanity. So Foghorn Leghorn, you know, he is this he is this. Uh, you know, this bombastic uh, southern rooster, right? right. I'll say it, I'll say it. You know, I just, you know, it's just really a fun fun thing. And you know, you know, the whole running gag was that the dog on a leash, you, you know, the fogger and leghorn would provoke the dog, the dog would run after the, the rooster, and but he had the leash line and then be jerked back. I think our leash line is, is this issue of unity. Yes. Sure. Yes. I think it's really, it's our, it, it, yeah. And um, that's you know you can you can you can you can weigh this. I mean, you just have to take my perspective. This is just a perspective, but um, uh, I mean, never mind that it's it's right. It's just my perspective. I am I am I am really joshing. Anyway, there is this leash line. There is this leash line in the American church. It's a fundamental lack of unity. So if you go back to Ephesians four and three, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit. Binding yourselves together with peace. That's a New Living Translation. I like what um, I like the way Chrysostom translated this. Have a wide and big soul. Yes. Yes. How about this one, A.T. Robertson? Bearing one another means putting up with other members of the congregation. I think that was good. And one last one, because I think it's fun. Put up, put up with the exasperating behavior of one another, and I think that's really good. You know? Nancy, um, Nancy told me recently, this is like maybe, I don't know, six months ago, she told me of this couple um, who have a very peculiar way of dealing with conflict, this married couple. And the way they deal with conflict, I love this. When they have a fight, they hold hands until they resolve their fight. I think there's a whole... Isn't that pretty cool? Do it again, do it again. Okay. So this couple, when they had a fight, this married couple... When they had a fight, they would hold hands until they resolved. They, would, oh, they, 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 they made a commitment. They made a commitment that bef- they would hold hands. It's <laughs> true. Anyway, there's a whole lot of hand holding I think that needs to go on in the body of Christ. And I, no matter how many churches you plant or how large your enterprise is, as long as there's a root of disunity in your heart, you and I are not experiencing the pure. Presence and power of God. Yes. So, yes. I'm going to talk to maybe really quick about three issues of unity that are um, maybe practical for us, and then finish off with um, with the beginning of this Ephesians four passage when Paul calls himself a prisoner, because actually the beginning of unity is is accepting the fact that we are prisoners of the Lord personally. Yes. Yes. Anyway, for us as pastors, and I, I'm really excited about uh, Kimball's vision of seeing pastors not to the exclusion of of evangelists and 
prophets and, and intercessors, not to the exclusion of others. <coughs> but I invite, I'm, I'm very encouraged by a, a vision that would want to embrace all of that together. And so uh, to us um, as pastors, I would say city unity and local church unity go hand in hand. The fruit of local church unity is city unity. If we divide that, um, we, we might find ourselves um, um, somewhat off-center from what the Lord has for us. I remember talking to a pastor, a friend of mine, oh, I guess a couple of years ago. Uh, you know, he lives in a different city, in a different state. But very, very active in the city unity um, mission of his city. And I said, uh, how's the city mission going? He said, ah, oh, man, I'd give it an A. Well, how's, how's the, your local church going? He said, oh, I'd give it a C. And what I heard in his voice was, you know what, I just, I, I, I just get tired of dealing with, with sheep stuff. And, and where I'm really getting my, my buzz is in the city. You know, over time, that won't wash. Right. We, we have to be contending for unity. I, as a pastor in my local church, if I'm going to be any good to city unity, if, that begins, if I begin to divide that, uh, I'm going to probably not be to you what I need to be as a partner in city unity. So for us as pastors, I would say it's a, it's a both and. Um, but unity of, uh, on the presence of God, unity about the presence of God. I think this is probably another area, and some of you who know me know that this is um, a theme of mine. Uh, I think if we can better understand the presence of God, uh, both those of us who come from uh, an experiential place, uh, renewal, charismatic, Pentecostal, and so forth, those of us who come from a non-experiential place, evangelical, liturgical, high church, and so forth, I, I think if we um, reframed the discussion of the presence of God, we might find some pathways to unity. Uh, from my end of, of the world, we often think of the presence of God as the manifest glory. You know, you think of presence and you think of worship and prayer and the prophetic and the gifts and the, all of that. But, you know, there is a massive swath of the body of Christ that when you say the presence of God, they will instantly go to, and the word became flesh and we beheld his glory. They will go to the incarnation. They will go to the the understanding that, um, that God, in order to touch us and reach us, became flesh and that our salvation came not from us going to God, but God coming to us. So I, I kind of divide it this way, that God's presence is both his manifest glory and his approachable glory, with the incarnation. And I think, um, depending on where we come from, we need to inch towards the other perspective if we're going to be in unity. I, you know, I, I, we had an experience not too long ago, and it's just been really cool to have Steve Garrett as um, uh, one of our pastors now, and uh, be teamed, and to actually be under your ministry this morning in a city context was a real treat. I really love seeing you in this place. Um, but I guess it's maybe three or four months ago, and um, um, there, there was a, our church would come from a uh, renewal background. Um, we're a non-denominational church, um, striving to be a word and spirit model. But you would probably frame us our root system being uh, manifestational and charismatic or renewal, uh, very much at home there. But I, I want to, because I'm a part of that world, I want to just uh, encourage us with something. We had, I thought it was just a great experience. I really said, thank you, God, because I've been feeling this for a while. About four months ago, there was an unusual move in the worship time in our body. And one of our young adults uh, just really began to feel the moving of the Holy Spirit, and it was legitimate, it was right, he, and from the back, began to pray. It was, it was a time of corporate response, so people were sort of buzzing in prayer, just in, in, in a way like we did this morning. And um, 
and and yeah, his young man began to pray at a ever increasing decibel level in his prayer language. Now, those of you who do not come from a perspective like that, just kind of work with me for a minute. Uh, and, and I knew that that was not necessarily a public moment at that point for us, um, not opposed to it at all, but I just knew it wasn't that time. And I could, see, I could see the decibel level rising, and so I just sort of coached us back to a, um, the corporate bullseye. And um, the interesting thing is that uh, someone had brought a, um, a completely unchurched salon owner um, from out of state, not here in, in Nashville, um, uh, Completely no Christian context. And, and it was interesting because in talking, my friend talked to her uh, afterwards. And um, when this young man began to uh, become more accelerated in his prayer language and a little more amplified, she thought it was a Muslim call to worship. And I thought, I thought, oh, thank you, Jesus. We need to hear that. She had no context for the behaviors that we exhibit in our renewal world. And I, I'm telling you, we got to have the conversation. I loved it. I said, God, bring more people that don't get it. Where we have to sit down and, and, and rewire our language and rewire the way we can. We have to have a conversation with millions and millions and millions of teenagers and young adults that don't, don't have the kind of context that many of us grew up in. Including some of our, our, our uh, wonderful renewal language and um, styles. You know, we, we got to be... In, our bubble can be a big bubble, but can it still, can still be a bubble? And I was so grateful. I was so grateful that someone came and was so completely unconnected that she thought a manifestation of the spirit was a Muslim call to worship. I thought, God, I want to have a conversation with those millions of people going yes, forward. Yes. I don't. I, and I think that's part of the presence. I don't think that God wants us to just uh, easily fall back on uh, on revival. Revival, I'm, I'm a revivalist. I grew up in revival. I love it. I want revival. But I, I, I also don't want to lose sight of the fact, I don't want to see revival as an excuse of me not doing the hard work of relating to people where they are. So, anyway, I'm, I'm sure I'm in trouble now. Um, you, let me just talk about, uh, very quickly, um, unity in, in areas of controversy. Uh, and I know that, that even recently, uh, the issue of, same-sex marriage, um, of gay lifestyle, and so that's, you know, again, that's pretty much that elephant in the room with young adults. So almost any, when I was out in L.A. recently and, and uh, had a conversation with someone at a restaurant, you know, oh, we're Christians. And the first question from every 22-year-old is, what do you think of gay marriage? That's the, that is the issue. That's the, that's the flashpoint. Um, let me just say, I think that, that, that there's a place of unity for us that we can um, go after without at all sacrificing the standards of Scripture, without at all sacrificing our commitment to the authority of Scripture, because um, I think that's, that's the big issue. It's the big issue is we've lost the authority of Scripture. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, but let me, just, let, let me just throw this out for, for your thinking and then finish up with something that I hope will be encouraging to you. Um, sin, as you all know, sin... Um, the way Paul handles sin, theologically, he almost personifies it. If you read Romans 7, it, it's almost a place where he person. He doesn't quite go there, but he talks about sin almost in personhood terms, the power of it, the, uh, the power of it to control people and so forth. 
And I think as we know that if certain doorways are open to a culture or society, that um, sin can over time become a structure of evil that so transforms a society that Isaiah 50 verse 20 becomes a reality. Good is called evil and evil is called good. So, you know, if you're a pastor uh, and, and, and you're together in a conference and you, usually there's some kind of session on money, sex, and power, right? Those are the big bugaboos of money, sex, and power. I thought about this recently. <coughs> money, sex, and power. I wonder if there are strongholds in our history as America where we might, um, we might understand uh, how the power thing becomes a structure, the greed thing becomes a structure, the sexual sin issue becomes a structure that actually changes and shapes society. Well, I got to thinking about this a lot. And, um, and I began to look at history once again, just a cursory glance. And, um, and, and I began to see the whole issue of where we are um, uh, in our culture in a slightly different light. Um, I find myself talking with a lot of young adults who are ha- they're really having a challenging issue with this. I, I, I get it. I get that scripture says that homosexuality is a sin. I get that it's a choice. But I'm really at my deepest heart level struggling. Almost every 20-year-old I've talked to in the last two years has been honest. I don't know, what to, I don't know where to park this because I have gay friends. I, where do I park this? And it was out of these conversations that I, for me, drilled deeper. And you don't have to accept this. This is just me in process. But if you think, if you, if you look at our history as a nation... And um, and you take the power issue, for example, and, 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 and watch how power was opened. And I'm going to define power as, um, as uh, one group or one person having control over another or dominating another. Um, if you look at this as, um, as an example, what happened in our Constitution is that, as you know, we indirectly opened the door to define a... Uh, a black person is three-fifths of a human being. That opened a door. By the third or fourth generation, we had a, ci- a civil war over that. What is interesting is that that doorway that was opened to power, the, the domination of one over another, um, what happened is that became a structure of evil that began to define society. In the 1850s, 40% of pastors in South Carolina owned slaves. I could, and you could do it too. I could take you to sermon after sermon preached in the 1850s by Southern pastors, fully justifying slavery from a scriptural perspective. We look at it now and say, how on earth could that happen? How could a whole swath of culture be so shaped by something that was so deceptive? What you see there is the structure of evil. When when evil, by the fourth generation, as as God says, I will visit the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. By the fourth generation, if a door is open in culture, that, that, that it gets so into the system that it actually begins to shape the identity of the very culture that it is rooted in. Mm-hmm. We, saw that, um, we saw that in the slavery issue. We saw that in the greed. I mean, when, when the Industrial Revolution took, um, took such root, and in the latter part of the 1800s, greed took such root in the country, and, and you read some of what Rockefeller did and others, you can understand why there was this need to address greed, but in fact that got into us so deeply that it, 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 it shaped the mores and the, and the identities of our culture. And the end result of that was 
the Great Depression and the collapse of a lot of the um, societal systems. I'm giving you just 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 tight, you know, little summaries here. They, we'd be on this for days. Well, young people come to me. Gays will come to me. You know, I don't. I've I've been I've been gay since I've been one. I mean, how many of us have heard that? Evidence I can remember. I get that. I get that because now I believe that we are dealing with a structural evil. I'm not saying people are evil. I'm talking about the structure that gets into a society that we opened in the 60s. Yeah. Sexual promiscuity is the defining yes. sin of our, of our age. Yeah. That door was opened in the 60s, and now we are, we, we are, in, a, we are in a setting where it's defining identity at the, at the, at the um, most basic level. I'm saying that to say that perspective if we understand how, how sin becomes a, a structure to, to, to actually shape the very identity of a culture, um, I'm, I'm saying that so that we might, as leaders, uh, continue to be vigorously, um, vigorously proclaiming the standards of Scripture and not deviate for a minute, but also perhaps may it, may it add a little bit of compassion to us to understand that where we are right now, when an 18-year-old tells me I've been born gay, I understand it. I'm not justifying it, but I think I understand it. They are born. They are being born into a culture where their identities are almost yes. being predetermined for them because our culture has gone so bad. You say, I just don't know. I can't. I can't really buy that. Well, how did pastors by the thousands justify slavery in the 1850s? You know, absolutely. Yeah, I'm just saying that 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 we need to also understand in our worldview the the nature of sin. So that now at this point we can be vigorous in our, in, in, in our proclamation of biblical truth to the letter. But we can also be enormously compassionate because we are, yes. we are realizing in a sense that in our 21st century Western culture, people are, I, people are, being, are, are, are being born into a culture where their identities are even being defined before they're even born, if you will. Yes. Now I'm just saying that's the way the structure of evil works. Now... Last thing, and I'm just saying, you know, being, being, walking in unity when it comes to even these controversies, I think is important. And part of what helps us walk in unity, even when we're dealing with controversies, is to, um, is to have the full counsel of the Lord. And so, finally, uh, and this is, I just want to throw this out for your, um, just to encourage you. Um, Oh, one more thing on unity. When it comes to the disunity in the church, I think there's a principle that we need to we need to adhere to. Whatever we divide over and can still call each other Christian should not have been an issue we divided over. Whatever we divide over and can still call each other Christian should not have been an issue we divided over. Wow. Wow. So, um, Paul starts this particular message to the Ephesians in verse 1 this kind of he kind of concludes chapter 3 oh you know we know he's not in chapters but he concludes his thoughts that we have as chapter 3 and then he says I therefore a prisoner for the Lord and as I said a minute ago I think this is where unity starts it starts with you and I as leaders as intercessors as prophets as apostles <coughs> as, as uh, pastors teachers evangelists it starts with us being a prisoner of the Lord. And I think being a prisoner of the Lord is where unity starts. Are we ready to be a prisoner? In 1 Samuel 1, we have the 
classic story, and I'm going to finish with this, of God closing Hannah's womb. Interesting thing, we've, I'm sure many of us have read that again and again. When God closed Hannah's womb, what's interesting to me is that he did not prevent collateral damage. Year after year, her rival, Penina, criticized and ridiculed her, and God did not stop her. She criticized and ridiculed Hannah year after year. Year after year, the healing comfort of her husband, because you know what happened, is Elkanah would come and give her a double portion, Hannah, the sacrifice, because she was childless, and he loved her, and he was trying to, trying to help her, trying to encourage her. But year after year, she was being re-wounded by her rival. And I would suggest she was being re-wounded all because God had a bigger plan than Hannah's blessing. In a sense, we could say that God did not bless her physically for years. I want to say that it is not unbelief to say that God sometimes has a timing for physical blessing, even healing. And I think there are some of us, like Hannah, whose wombs have been closed, closed wombs of birthing vision, or wombs of birthing ministry and dreams. And some of these things have been closed by God. God closed Hannah's womb because it was a certain perfect timing for Samuel to be born. And in the process of that closure, she had to endure an awful lot of pain yes. by God's design. Yes. yes. I'm saying this because some of you here are probably <coughs> wrestling with that. And being a prisoner of the Lord is saying yes when your womb is closed. Yes. And, okay, I'll go with the closing of the womb, God. I'm good with that. But don't, but, don't, but don't let Penina continue to ridicule me. But God doesn't step in and, and stop that. In the big scheme of things, you know, being a president, what if in the big scheme of things, you were an Israelite right smack dab in the middle of the prophetic vision that God gave Abraham? So Abraham, just know God says, uh, your, your seed is going to be prisoners for 400 years. Well, and slaves, I'm sorry, slaves for 400 years. What if you were at the 200-year mark and your whole life yeah. was spent in slavery with no end? Your, your part in God's great plan was simply enduring slavery till you died. Because God had a 400-year plan. I think we need to, to kind of zoom back and see the big picture. Being the prisoner of God um, has ramifications, right? Okay. By the way, um, when it comes to God's delays, I mean, God was delaying Hannah's opening of the womb, opening her womb, right? I mean, if you look at God's delays, there's purpose to it. So when God keeps Moses on the mountain for 40 days, I mean, he, he could have gotten all that downloaded in three days, but God kept him up there. Delayed, if you will, until the people finally said, you know what? We don't know what's happened to this guy. Oh, come on. You know, Aaron... Help us out here. You know, I think what was happening is that God could, God could have wrapped it all up with, with Moses in just two, three days. But I think that God's delay, in part, was for the reason that he had to delay long enough to let the hearts of the people manifest. Yes, come on. Sometimes we as pastors or leaders, we feel like we want to go after, okay, I've got to do this to keep my people motivated. And if God says don't, just wait. Just obey, because he may be doing something that you can't see. Let him do it. It may not be comfortable, but let him do it. Come on. 
Often it is not the God delay that is so hard, but the advantage Satan takes using the flesh of people to destroy our spirits. So why did Hannah endure year after year? I'm just going to read because of time. I don't want to go off the script here. Why did Hannah endure year after year and not pray the way she finally did? She finally prayed, as you know, okay, God, I will give you the fruit of my womb. It's, he's yours. I will dedicate. Now, we don't know if she, kept, if she prayed that year after year. All we do know is that the scripture records that she finally prayed that. Maybe she hadn't prayed it year after year, but she finally did. I would conjecture, had Hannah vowed that vow all along, or only finally now when scripture records it? Was the timing of Samuel's birth connected to the increased pressure she felt from Penina? In other words, was Hannah's desperation to come to the place to surrender her blessing provoked by ever-increasing hostility from her rival? And is there, is there a plan in God where sometimes the intensity of the enemy's attacks accelerate to a point where we get that desperate and it's all in God's timing and he uses the enemy <coughs> to force us to a place, if you will, of desperation? Yes. Just, on. just saying. Yes. Was it that God... Was the timing of Samuel's birth connected to the increased pressure she felt from Penina? So God says, I will let Penina's cruelty now reach the level that it will provoke Hannah to make the vow, for now is my timing for Samuel. Sometimes we need to be aware that the intensity of Satan's attacks against us is God's design for a higher purpose. And when Hannah was provoked sufficiently, she was able to release her future blessing. God's, God timed the maximum wounding to provoke her to release the very man God had wanted to release at that precise time. When the wounding provoked her to take her hands off of her desired blessing, she was no longer sad. Our sadness is often the result of seeking our blessings. And only when we vow a vow to let the blessing go will we be content. If you feel like the pain of barrenness is too great, vow a vow to let go. Vow a vow to let go of your vision. One of the great one of the great enemies of city unity is vision. That's so true. Because vision often introduces an agenda. I'm not saying it's wrong, I'm just saying we have to hold it lightly. If vision in a city initiative ever takes us beyond the priority of building friendships, then vision has has taken a wrong place. The need the need to accomplish. No matter what the vision is. You know, I had, again I talked with a friend of mine. Yeah, that's right, Campbell's relationship. I talked to a friend of mine, um, this goes back four years, and he said, you know, we've been building unity. Um, there, there's a, a group of people, of, of leaders and pastors, and we've been building unity for a couple of years, and within this group of leaders, there's 600 churches in the city represented. And it's been really sweet until about three weeks ago, and one of the pastors, one of the pastors, um said, okay, what are we going to do with this unity? We've got to do something. And, he, and, and it was like the air left the room. It's not that it was wrong. It's just that we have to be careful that the vision word doesn't become the power word. Who sets the vision? It's just something to be handled delicately. And so um, I would just encourage all of us, maybe some of us um, are at a place where we have believed for things like Hannah and they haven't come to pass. That we feel like the womb of our ministry, our vision, our dreams has been closed. And we just say, Lord, what do we do? Hmm. Well, one of the things we can do is just become a prisoner of the Lord and say, okay, 
I'm a prisoner, Lauren. And if I am barren and taunted, and it's for your higher purposes, I mean, I will take my authority. I'm not just going to roll over and play dead. But neither am I going to, neither am I going to feel like the attacks of the enemy are there because my faith is weak. Sometimes God allows the enemy to stay at the doorstep. Yes. In order to provoke, as he did Hannah, yes. a place of really leaning into the yieldedness, the yieldedness place. And there may be some of you that just need to be encouraged. You know what? If you're in a place of barrenness, or at a place where you've not felt your dreams fully fulfilled, you know what? Just know that God really is in charge. He really is in control. He really does want to encourage you. And he wants you just to turn, just, just say, okay, Lord, whatever you are going to bless me that I haven't seen, that I'm believing for out there, I'm just going to tell you right now, when it comes, I'm vowing, vowing a vow. It's yours. It. It's yours. And I'm just going to rest into a place of contentment, even in my barrenness. Watch what God does. Hey, Steve, can you come back and let's uh, open our hearts for a second. Let the Lord massage us. Father, you are amazing. And in this room, Lord, um, there are men and women that are just stout men and women. Stout in the person and power and presence of Jesus. Lord, I just ask that um, in fact, you know what? Maybe there's a, uh, an, an expression of an action here. If there's a place where you have been believing for something and it has not yet come to pass, just stretch out your hand and say, Lord, here it is. I'm believing and contending for it, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to release the future blessing to you right now so that the future blessing is not something that I will become possessive of. I relinquish it here. Some of you have just broken through in the last few months or maybe the last year into some new places of dream fulfillment. But I think even, even those can say, Lord, here, it, here's the blessing. I'm, re, I'm giving the blessing back to you. I'm giving my Samuel back to you. Totally yours. Totally yours. Lord, I ask that you would encourage, encourage us today. Strengthen us today. We, we have a heart, Lord, for unity. We have a heart, Lord, to find the stride where all of us from various backgrounds can bring our gifts. That no longer would we say this church has the inside track and that church has the inside track. But we would say, no, Lord, we want to receive all of the redemptive gifts. Lord, let, let, let those who come from a non-experiential background embrace the freedom that can come when we uh, allow the Holy Spirit to, within biblical boundaries, uh, let us fly and respond in vigorous worship and in, in, in calling unto you kinds of intercession in prophetic signs and wonders. And for those, Lord, um, who perhaps don't see the value in being adjusted rightly with, with those who strong in the word but may not fully fully embrace the styles of the Spirit that some of us would be very comfortable with. Lord, help us to know it's not about just dumbing it down or it's not about just accommodating. It's really about leaning in. Leaning into the gifts and strengths that we have. Lord, I really do desire that we come to a place where 
we can um, lean, just lean so fully into all that a Bill Johnson has and all that an Andy Stanley has. Lord, if we can, if we can believe for uh, a Tim Keller, a Tim Keller Mike Bickle hybrid. I'm just, I'm being, I'm, now I'm just getting, I'm getting gutsy right now. I'm just starting to get down to my underwear. But Lord, I just, you know, my heart is, is that, is that you would do that without any judgmentalism, without any, just, just in our city here in Nashville, would you do a, tenderize our hearts to love, love, love unity, knowing that unity attracts your presence. Thank you for these brothers and sisters. Lord, thank you for Kimball. Thank you for James and the leadership he exercised. Lord, he and Jerry and so many others. But we just come to you, Lord. We just say, as your prisoners, do that work of unity in us. Amen. Let's stand, please. I'm going to ask a ministry team to come. If you want prayer, I, I, I believe this is a great opportunity for, for prayer right now. Uh, Marty, uh, if, if you could join me, and, and, and James, Marty and James over here on this side, Mark Lancaster, um, and I think it's Phil Dillingham. In the, if y'all could go over here on the left here and just be up here. If you want, if you want prayer, just come on, on up front, guys, and be available. Let's just worship the Lord. It's 11 o'clock, and we are, we plan on dismissing now to give time. Uh, Kim, would you mind uh, coming up and just praying with people, if you would, please? Um, for those who... Let's just give ourselves to the Lord, as Steve did as a prisoner. Thank you, Steve, for the word uh, that you brought today. Thank you all for being here. But let's, let's go out with just this opportunity to engage Him again, once again in relationship. Steve, would you lead? We're open for prayer. You are officially dismissed if you need to go, but you can linger here for prayer right now. I'm running to yours. I'm running to yours. The riches of your love will always be enough. I think I'm